Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Lori Clark Show. This episode of my podcast is brought to you with the help of ZoomUs, a video and audio conferencing interface. It's important to know that I'm in no way sponsored by Zoom. I just want to tell you how much I love it. It is very reliable, easy to use, and provides excellent audio and video files that my team and I produce to share the power of story with you. Another non-sponsored, couldn't do without, but just have to tell you how good it is, is Squarespace. When they say it is the all-in-one platform, it really is true. I go into the back end of my website multiple times a day, adjust things, post podcast, add links, and look at our show's analytics, which all sync across my devices. And when I need an image, Squarespace provides an excellent resource that's powered by Unsplash. Now for my most favorite feature, the Squarespace app. Um, Being a working mom, there never seems to be enough time in my day. So when my daughter's in ballet, I sit in my car and upload, post, and manage everything on my website from the app. It's really cool and seamless. Squarespace is really, really simple and very dedicated to helping me create a brand of excellence. So with that, big shout out to Zoom, Squarespace, and Unsplash. Thank you for helping me tell people's stories. With that said, let's move on to the best part about today, the show. Please allow me to welcome my next guest on The Lori Clark Show. We are here today with Julia. Hello. Hi, Julia. Ah, <laughs> uh, this is so great. We're going to talk today about your journey with anxiety. Um, you mentioned that it is not a diagnosed thing. No, it is not. Not doctor diagnosed. But you know and feel that there's a push and a pull with anxiety and depression. I do. Yes. And this is why I felt like it was important to do this story is because, well, number one, you're just an angel. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) You're welcome. (laughs) You're an angel. Uh, And number two, it's really interesting because you're really honest about it and you're honest about the interaction that you're having with yourself and these emotions and these big feelings. And yet it seems like you're really, you are handling it. And I just, I'm so curious about your process, about your journey. And yeah, I got some, I've got some questions to ask you. So, so let's begin by just talking about when did you decide or notice that you had anxiety or depression? I think depression came first. Okay. Um, I honestly, it's it goes so far back that it is hard to tell exactly when it started. But um, believe that depression started with like the beginning of high school. Okay. And then anxiety quickly followed, and it was all social. It was all like, right. why don't these people want to talk to me? What's wrong with me? And just kind of a lot, like I started overthinking from the beginning. Mm. And overthinking. So you walk into school and you're feeling like, I don't belong here. Totally isolated. 
Mm-hmm. Interesting. How was it in your elementary school years? It was, I'd say, fairly normal. I think I was a little bit dramatic when I was younger. <laughs> um, I mean, I was a, a dramatic teenager as well, but I was very lively, very much living my life younger. No no feelings of depression, any of that. It was smooth sailing until about grade eight. <laughs> Interesting. And so the hormones kick in, everything kicks in, and you find yourself in this bigger bigger social network, you know, it's... And I started in a huge high school. Okay. Like, I I didn't grow up in this sort of area. I grew up in a, I'd say, small town with a lot of people in it. <laughs> <laughs> so everyone piled into one high school, mm. and it was just completely overcrowded. And I don't know how overcrowding can make you feel isolated, but it can. <laughs> It made you feel isolated. Yeah. Okay. And 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 um, you went in with a friend group? A little bit. Right. It was like anyone that was friends in grade seven kind of split off into small groups in grade eight and found new people from the other elementary schools that had... Filtered in, yeah. That yeah. happens all the time, right? Yes. Oh, I know that <clears throat> feeling. I remember my... I remember. I remember it all too well. And so... You get there and you start to feel what, what did it, was it confusing to you when you're like, oh my goodness, what is this feeling? Now I'm anxious. I'm worried. Yeah. It was sort of like a lost puppy feeling. That was what one of my good friends called it. Cause I had one good friend or I guess two good friends that I kind of did still have, even though most of the time I felt like I was alone. They were there. I just, I guess I didn't realize what friends really were and that they didn't have to be by your side 24-7 to be your friends. But yeah, one of them said, I seemed like a lost puppy following her around at one, at one point. Oh, so. that can be taken like, well, in my mind, it only is taken one way. It's like, and how did you receive it? I guess pretty badly. Like, yeah. well, I didn't, I didn't forget it. No. So. Because you did, and that might have been new to you. Yeah. A bit. Okay, so what do you do with that? What did you do? I uh, kind of fell off. Like, I started feeling even more alone. And then I'd say by the time I hit grade 10, I was completely miserable. Um, Mm. Fully depressed teenager. Um, I went to the smoke pit. (laughs) And decided to start smoking cigarettes and right. to make friends that way. Right. I don't know why. That was my 15-year-old brain. Right. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with it, mm-hmm. right? Like, mm-hmm. you you know the cost of smoking. You know the price that... I grew up with the knowledge. My mother telling me, don't smoke, don't smoke ever. Like, <laughs> Right. Yeah. So there you go. And, and that became something for you. Yeah, it became something for me to do. Some way for me to talk to people. And it... I felt more comfortable talking to people smoking. Was it because everybody was doing the, the a common thing? I think it was something to do with my hands. Okay. <laughs> and that's actually something that's carried into my adult life, even at work. I have to have something to do with my hands most of the time when I'm talking to somebody. Unless I'm completely, or unless I'm comfortable, then I really, I'm fidgety. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, you can't be fidgety here because you got a mic in your face. <laughs> I got 
I got the tea. I'm sipping away at the tea. You know, I, told Dad, I do see you moving a little bit, but that's, you know, I mean, it, but that's really an interesting part of, of your story. It's interesting that you're identifying certain things along the way. So keep us going, keep us going down the line. Okay. So. Grade, so you start smoking. Yeah, start smoking in grade 10. So I hang out in the smoke pit at lunch or whenever I want to leave class or like that kind of thing. Um, grade 10 ends. I spent the summer working at summer camp, which is what I did every year. Yeah. And I actually made a whole bunch of friends from a different town while I was there. And they were all from like this town that we're in right now. Okay. Um, and got me thinking, hey, like my parents already want to downsize their house. They're already thinking about moving. I should mention to them that I'm cool with it. So I did. I said, if you want to move, I'm good with it. I don't want to go to this school anymore. Like, <laughs> Wow. Yeah. Move to a whole new area. I'm good with it, wow. basically. <laughs> and how, and so then you did? Yeah. Then they, that pretty much like they were already looking, but that really kickstarted. They're like the one kid that still lives with us wants to leave. So Let's go. Yeah. Okay. And then where was the depression in all this? Um, fairly constant. Well, can you describe it to me? I guess when I just look at everything kind of gray. And I didn't start getting, I'd say, like, suicidal thoughts until way later, like into like actual adult life. Like I never seriously fell into that. I never thought I want to end my life. My life sucks. Like I was upset, but I always kind of saw things getting better and I still do. <laughs> Are you, were you depressed with your life or with the world around you? How do you describe it to me? I, I do not suffer from depression. I do not know what it looks like. Can you, as how, how else, what is gray? I guess the way, the way I feel about it right now, because I still, I still have depression and anxiety. It comes and goes because I have somewhat of a hold on it. Mm. Um, the way I think about it right now is the world is so hopeless and it, it's such a, a big heavy weight that I feel like I, I have to find happiness somewhere in the world. Cause right now I look out at my future adult life and I look at everyone else's life and I think like this is terrible. <laughs> and I don't know. I just feel like I can't fix the world because the world's too big and I don't have the drive to want to fix the world, but I want to feel happy with the world as I see it. Wow. Okay. That's heavy. <laughs> yeah, and that's why it doesn't that's why it doesn't go away fully. It's because when I get back to working on my life and building up my life, I'm still I still feel the heavy weight of how much the world sucks. <laughs> Do you have the ability to take the world from like how large it is and pull it like into your community? and take a piece of it that way and go, okay, so I'm really happy with me. Okay, now I'm happy with my five friends or one friend or whatever. Now I'm happy with my work. Now I'm mm -hmm. happy with my community. Is it 
something like that? Or is it, does it matter? That, what you're saying does make sense because uh, probably about a year and a half ago, I decided to take a huge step back and spend a lot of time by myself and not, like I had some, some falling out with friendships that I initiated. I decided that the friendships I were in were toxic and that I needed to take a step back and really get to know myself, really. So I'm, I feel like I'm still, I want to step out of it and I'm growing, but I'm still getting to know myself. Would you say that depression stopped you from knowing yourself? Absolutely. It kept me leaning on other people. And the, like a needy feeling. Yes. So like kind of imitating the people around me. Okay, so you didn't know who you were. And then you thought you needed to be whoever I was closest to. Yeah. (laughs) And what part of that moved the into depression? I guess like when those friendships or relationships that you've put everything into to like eventually crumble. I'm left not knowing who I am or what I like or anything that I want to do. Because your identity is with them. Mm-hmm. Yes. You attach yourself. Yes. Okay. So that's something that I'm working on is attaching myself to myself. <laughs> I guess that's the way to put it. <laughs> when did that discovery happen for you? Um. Slight, slightly before I started dating my boyfriend. Mm. He's actually really insightful. He said once to me that when before we started dating, he looked at me and he thought, this girl has no idea who she is. <laughs> wow. We were friends. We were from the same friend group. Yeah. And yeah, he was, he did the whole like, small pining for me thing that he admitted to. <laughs> um, and yeah, he, he watched me showing up to parties at that house and hanging out with the people that I was hanging out with at this, that house. And he definitely thought, like, she doesn't know what she's doing yet, but she's getting there kind of thing. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When you, would you say then that, you know, because a lot of people feel disconnected, untethered, lost, socially, emotionally, and physically even because people, you know, um, all mature faster in high school. Was that the moment you said that that's when depression sort of kicked in? Mm -hmm. Was that when this whole moment where you lost yourself actually happened? I think so. Yeah, I think I, well, back before I moved, I definitely had no idea who I was. I don't think I was living my life the way that I wanted to. It it actually took like uprooting and leaving for me to fall into the group that I feel like I was supposed to fall into. And, and then when you mm-hmm. fell into that group, then you felt belonging, but it wasn't your own belonging. Exactly. <laughs> so at the time I thought, wow, like my life is improving very quickly. Like <laughs> you felt exhilarated. Yes. Like the 
it was so weird. It was like the old high school I was at. You could walk around alone for the entire lunchtime and nobody would even look at you. But I walked around for 15 minutes before classes began and a girl walked up to me in socials and said, hey, you looked lost earlier. Why don't I sit beside you? Like wow. that, that had never happened to me before. Wow. So I thought at the time, like I was in grade 11, this was the beginning of grade 11. I thought this is the best thing ever. I'm so happy I moved. And I was definitely like very happy for two years <laughs> with like obviously my own teenage drama. Sure. But I'd say as overall, I was very grateful and I was very happy. Then, okay, before we go to when you graduate, I want to talk about the anxiety along with the depression. Because what did that look like in high school? What did the anxiety look in high school? <laughs> um, or is it separate? It is separate. Like, they, I find they don't combine too often. It's usually one or the other. Okay. <laughs> It's usually, or or nothing, or it's a good day. <laughs> <laughs> and it's day by day. Like, it, I don't have good weeks or good months. I have good days and bad days. And then by the time I'm over into the next day, it's changed. So it's unpredictable? A little bit. Does that bother you? Yes, but it's my life. So it doesn't bother me too much. It's just kind of something I've grown used to. When did you accept that? When you started accepting yourself? <laughs> uh, I, I definitely didn't accept it in high school. Um, you fought against it. I definitely fought against it in high because school. Because it wasn't normal or because what? Like what, what made you fight against it? I, I thought like I have to get better. Once I get better, I'll be better. And then my life can move on. Did you ever talk to anybody? I talked to my high school counselor a little bit, but in those talks, I mostly did a lot of crying and that didn't really go anywhere. So I'd, I don't know, something about her brought out tears in me. <laughs> so you just cried and cried? Yeah, I would just cry and then I would leave. And then, yeah, it was like, I was, I was really happy. I was happy with the way my life had turned, but I obviously was still dealing with a lot of feelings. Unprocessed feelings. Yes. In And family feelings or like what feelings? Well, I kind of have a complicated backstory before I even got into anxiety depression. Like, so, okay. When I was a unborn child, my birth mother got cancer and my birth father was already schizophrenic. And I had three older siblings. And then by the time I was born, she was like, she was dying of cancer. So that was like, it was kind of end stages. So within two years, all of my siblings and I were adopted into the same family that already had two kids. So we were a six-kid family, eight-person household from the age of two for me. And I'm the youngest. Wow. So I guess when I was a teenager, I was dealing with a lot of, like, wondering about my birth mother 
hating my birth father, all that kind of stuff. So I don't feel like I deal with it anymore. I feel like it was so long ago, like it's not my life anymore. I have great parents. I have siblings and I have a life. But like back when I was younger, I definitely thought like, why did that happen? Right. And was there any any explanation around it? Was there? Honestly, anyone that I tell the story to just goes like, wow, that's amazing. So I guess that kind of drilled it into my head. Like, wow, that's amazing what happened to us. And I do believe that we're grateful to have stayed together. Yeah. There's still pain there. There's still pain there. but And there's still this weird distance between all of us. Between your siblings? Like your family of origin? Yeah. Siblings? Yeah. Well, pretty much. Like, I don't really, I don't really think of them different. Like, I don't look at one sibling and say, like, that's my sibling. And I don't look at another and say they're not my sibling. Like, they're all my siblings. And it's, I don't have a memory of the life I had before this life. (laughs) Um, But there's this, there is this tension. Like, we're not as close as I feel like siblings should be. Mm. Maybe because I'm so much younger than the rest of them, maybe only I feel that way. When you, so let's go fast forward then when you were at your counselor's office in Mm -hmm. high school and you're crying. Yeah. Now that Mm -hmm. makes sense, right? Like, okay, so you're crying because tears release a sadness. That's what tears do. They, they open you and they ask you, can, can we, let a little sadness go. And that seems to me what you were doing in that chair, looking at your counselor going, you're my high school counselor. All I can do is sit in your office and cry. Maybe you're not connected to it at the time, but you're releasing the sadness. Mm. Now, you don't know who your birth father is? I know who he is, but I have no interest in being in contact with him. Mm. Um, there was kind of a a struggle between us getting adopted because he wanted us to be adopted into a different family that I guess he had sort of a deal with, like he would have more control over what happened to us, what kind of schools we would go to, what kind of like church we would go to. He's very religious. Mm-hmm. Um, and it turned out through doctor diagnosis with him and my brothers giving testimonies that he was schizophrenic, bipolar, and physically abusive to my brothers. So it's kind of like I have zero interest in knowing him. Okay. (laughs) And now you're moving on in your life. That's your context. And it makes sense to me when you say the world is gray. It makes sense to me when you say I, I see a lot of hopelessness. Yeah. That makes sense to me. I, I can't, I'm, I am nowhere near a counselor or a psychologist or a therapist. I guess I should have started with the beginning <laughs> stuff. <laughs> the know. world is great. Why? Well. <laughs> well, that's kind of why I do what I do. I was like, you know, every story matters. I say this every single episode because every story matters. And... And that's the beauty 
of knowing that your story is a part of something bigger. Mm-hmm. And your story is millions of people's stories. There's a lot of people like you. Mm-hmm. And your story is offering something to someone who says, this world seems to be really gray. What you've just done is you have said, I know there is, it's gray, but I'm going to offer you some hope. Do you see that? Yeah. That's pretty cool. (laughs) (laughs) And like, like I said, I'm good. Like I'm very stable right now. (laughs) Yeah. So the things that have happened to me in my life and the feelings that I've gone through, I still have a hold on it. I was suicidal a year ago but I'm not anymore. And I know that I'm not. I like, that's great. And that's gratitude and joy that you're sitting here today. <laughs> they're two very different feelings, like Ooh. suicidal and non-suicidal. Let's talk about it. <laughs> so what are the feelings? Well, when I was younger, like I always read kind of like, I spent a lot of time on like Tumblr and on the internet and like looking up mental illness and depression and, and, and suicide and all that kind of stuff and what drives people to it. And I never crossed that when I was younger, I never crossed that barrier, that mental barrier that gets people into thinking my life, I want my life to end. Um, however, um, a year, a year and a half ago, I definitely crossed that through that barrier. Um, and it was frightening. It was scary. And it, I think it was definitely scary to the people around me because I brought it up because I knew that I, I needed them to watch out for me. Wow. So I brought it up, and I feel like that was a lot of pressure on the people around me. But I still needed them to know. Uh, yeah, so I don't know. I just— Why do you feel emotional? Because I'm glad that I didn't do it. <laughs> You got me. Now I'm crying. (laughs) Me too, a little. (laughs) I did not know that. And I just want to say thank you. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for telling people. Thank you for not suffering in silence. Yeah, it's like, tell your boyfriend, tell your mom, like. (laughs) Tell your neighbor. Tell, yeah, tell the people around you. Yeah. Who did you tell? Like you don't have to name their names, but what if someone is considering that and they're stuck and they're like, okay, this is this is where my thoughts are going. How did you and who did you reach out to? I at the time I was in conversation with like an old friend from high school. Um and he wanted to get together. We had had some some big drama when we were teenagers, but we had we've gotten over it now so he's a drama queen yeah (laughs) so he he wanted to get together and and hang out and talk so we did and I really I wasn't in a good place but like I still said yes because I still wanted to see my friend we got together and we were sitting in the car and I and I told him I said I'm suicidal Mm -hmm. like that's I put it very simply and he said why and I said I don't know (laughs) but I am. And it was just like, I couldn't really find a reason for why everything was 
so intensely gray. So when you crossed this barrier, what did it feel like? Oh, so terribly empty. (laughs) Empty, like a vortex. Yeah. Like. Wow. I didn't feel any, any life, any joy. All I felt was comfort and discomfort. Wow. What brought you comfort then? Not being alone. Okay, so people. Yeah, so being with people and being able to lean other, on other people brought me the comfort. But then I had to learn that I couldn't do that, that I was never going to feel happy leaning on other people. So then the discomfort was when? I had to spend time by myself and learn myself or learn about myself. <laughs> you can't obviously surround yourself 24-7 with people. Exactly. When did you feel, would it be as simple as, um, I'm with my friends right now. I'm going to go home for six hours. Comfort is when, in those moments, discomfort is for that six hours. Exactly. Okay. Like walking through a threshold. I think so. I'm not. I'm very visual sometimes. I am too. That's why I'm I'm trying to describe. Like going to another room. Like threshold, walking across, going, okay, now this is really uncomfortable. I don't have people. I can't have their energy. I can't feel their support. I can't feel their love. There's nothing here that can sustain me. Or distract me. Distract distract you. Yes, I'd say distracting also brought me comfort, like being distracted. Okay. And then then describe what happened in that time for you. What did you do? Did you just, when it was discomfort, how did you, do you remember what that? I worked a lot. Okay. I picked up way more hours at work. Okay. I let, I definitely let my employers, like I work in a place where I feel like I can let my employers know when my mental health isn't doing its best. Oh, we have to stop there. That's amazing that you have employers who value and hear that. That is important. And even through the switchover through management, Getting going from one manager to another, one assistant manager to another, yeah. they've all been supportive. Wow. <laughs> and it's all been at this one place. Okay. So, so you haven't moved jobs. No, I've not in two years. I've not moved jobs. Okay. <laughs> right. And that is really helpful because that gives you a structure mm-hmm. that gives you a framework that you can walk into and feel comfort. Exactly. Okay. (laughs) And so then when you go home from that shift, then you feel discomfort. Not anymore, but I used to. Right. (laughs) That's what we're talking about because Mm -hmm. I'm trying to draw that connection and and keep. So now what did you do? Let's go back that year where you were suicidal. You say to your friend in the car, "I I don't even know why I am. Then what? Then what happened? I guess I just kind of had to ride it out. I <laughs> like I I worked as much as I can because working when I worked I didn't feel lonely. Okay. And 
I didn't bother with trying to make friends any anymore because it was just too exhausting. I don't know. It just just it just ached like I just having awkward conversation with people that I don't want to have awkward conversation with. I just I was like I need to be by myself. Hmm. all the time. So I was either working and I was by myself and then I started to get used to being by myself. I started to like it. Hmm. Although I did go through a little bit of an online shopping addiction. (laughs) (laughs) Why, why? Why why was that the thing? When you feel sad, you add to cart. (laughs) (laughs) We should make a shirt. When you feel sad, add to cart. Have a little picture of the cart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> Interesting. Okay. Okay. So that was something to do. Yes. That was a focus to take off. Yeah. I just, I kind of found like little, little tiny passions in my life. So I would. Oh, would you say that those were sparks of joy? They were sparks of joy. <laughs> so then the world sparks. didn't seem so gray. Mm-hmm. So I started, yeah, looking for sparks of joy in my own habits and my own life. Oh, I love that. Say that again. <laughs> Looking for sparks of joy. In my own habits and my own life. <laughs> Julia, I love that. I should have a journal. <laughs> this is a part of your journal. <gasps> exactly. Yay. Verbal journal. <laughs> this is a verbal journal. This really is sparks of joy. And that's what you had to do. Mm-hmm. And now... Those sparks of joy have grown. I mean, like I have become so confident and comfortable at my job. I am in a very stable relationship, which I never really saw myself being in. And I actually just applied to a program for school. (laughs) So, uh, but it's not for like a year. So... I'm looking forward to the next year of working hard and saving money. Mm. So you're finding sparks of joy. I am. Why did that not happen for you early on? What was the shift for you? Did you have to go to this rock bottom of, of, of entertaining? Now, did you actually entertain killing yourself? I did, yes. And did you try to or did you I did not make an actual attempt okay um I did have moments of like today's a good day to do it or um well not like a good day I didn't phrase it that way what did you phrase it (laughs) it was all in my head because it was all like it was never spoken I was always by myself but I would be driving say. And I would think like this contraption, contraption that I am in has the ability to end my life if it were to crash hard enough. I would have those moments and I would definitely be holding onto my steering wheel and thinking like, I want to do it. I want to do it. I want to do it. But then I wouldn't. I don't know what truly kept me from not doing it, but I think it really is the fact that I let the people around me know and that the people around me had said, please don't do it. You felt loved. Definitely. I know that 
like my mother has said to me before that she wouldn't be able to take it if I did it. <laughs> so I've known you for two years. <laughs> I wouldn't have been able to take it. If <laughs> and it's hard to feel that, that way about like the world, that the world's going to care. But, you know, I thought about what if somebody who's close to me felt that way and did it? I would care. Or not even close to me. Someone that I work with two days a week. I would still care. So I would still really miss that person. You began to glimpse who you were as a woman and love her. See myself in a little bit more of a positive light. Do you love yourself? Sometimes. I do. Like, I do. Wait, wait, wait. (laughs) There's no judgment on that. I need you to know there's no judgment. I have a lot of times where I wish that I was a more improved version of myself. (laughs) That's so interesting that you would say that. Like, I think I have a solid foundation, but that I don't work hard enough. And that you just hold like, on. <laughs> oh! <laughs> okay. Then let's just recap. Think about what you've just shared with me. So maybe, just maybe, you are the hardest working person I've ever met. Because maybe you have caught something here this spark of joy, and the fact that you are in this chair. You are not this person that someone is talking about because you are not here on this planet. Mm -hmm. So I would say to you, you are very hardworking. Thank you. (laughs) And hardworking because you, you... Talked to someone. Hardworking because you talked to your employer. Hardworking because you didn't move away from your job. Hardworking because you pressed in and you didn't move the contraption that you were in right now at the moment (laughs) and crash it into something hard enough. That to me, however you define hardworking, I believe you come. Long ways. So, my mind has done a lot of work. <laughs> so, what is the difference then between your mind? Because the mind and the body are. <laughs> you talk about that now. So, when my mother was my age, she had a one-year-old, and she was married, and she was beginning her career. I am my age. I'm twenty-two. I have no successful post-secondary education yet, except for I graduated from hairdressing school. Nice. In high school. I took the program in high school. Okay. I finished the program when I was 18 and thought like, cool, I've got my career set. Went into it, hated it, tried something else. So since then, it's been a series of unsuccessful post-secondary attempts. And that's part of why I feel like I need to work harder is because I haven't been successful in one yet. And I feel like other people are settling into their careers, but I know that there's lots of people that aren't. So that keeps me okay with it. Well, and it depends on on really what success is to you. It sees, it, 
seems to me like you see it as being this outside thing, like this thing that you achieve outside of yourself. Mm-hmm. What it really is, it's what you're doing right now. So you don't have this, you know, certificate for the course that you signed up for this next year. You're looking forward to it, but you, that in and of itself is a beautiful goal to have, to, you know, have you working towards something. But really, um, there's something about the fact that, you know, you're 22, you're doing what you're doing. You've went through a whole bunch of stuff in your life. Uh, I, I disagree with you. (laughs) (laughs) I just don't want to be disappointing. I don't want to disappoint myself and I don't want to disappoint my parents who I live with, who I know are thinking, when, when is she going to go back to school? (laughs) Right. I haven't told them yet that I've applied to a program. I'm not going to tell them until I get in. Right. (laughs) And, and at the same time though, um, yeah. You disagree, you think? Uh, well, it's not, it's not that I disagree. It's more that you haven't made the connection yet. And that's your journey. Your journey is to connect the, what is happening in your mind to the beauty of who you are as a woman and to your body and your soul. You're not there yet. And that is okay with me. There's nothing I can say that's going to change your mind, right? Yeah. Right. And, and because, because your mind is incredibly unique and you are unique as am I, where everyone is so different and it's all about respecting and it's all about, um, accepting people where they're at and this is where you're at. And so I can disagree, but that doesn't mean anything in the sense that I just accept that you are 22, as you've said, and you have your life and you're going to live it and you're going to start exploring, which is what you've been doing. That's amazing to me. So this self-exploration will begin and you might find other things about yourself that you begin to love. Because I asked you, do you love yourself? And there was a pause there. And sometimes came, was your answer. I think for a lot of us, I didn't love myself. Until I was like, I want to say 36. 36. Now, don't set that, Julie, as a benchmark. <laughs> I'd like you to no, love yourself uh, now. We are unique. <laughs> <laughs> I lived a lot of life as feeling very unworthy. Okay. And like, um, you know, I had a lot of stuff that I needed to look at and work through in my life. And it's about the process. And so you're on it. And I am, I'm congratulating you because you're in the chair, you're sitting here. And that is the most important thing to me right now. Oh, and a year ago, I would not have said yes. (laughs) No, a year ago. No, you probably wouldn't even wanted to share a year ago. No, a year ago, I probably would want to sit in my room and not go anywhere else and hide basically. (laughs) Hide. What made you come out of hiding? Oh, man. Well, work. <laughs> but. <laughs> Did you go every day? You just got up and went. And was it just like a struggle? 
Yeah, well, it was like, I was definitely loved at work. Like my employers would express to me that they think that I'm doing a good job and that they can see me improving and telling, like giving me constant positive feedback. So that was like, I can go there. That's a good place to go. (laughs) Safety. Yeah. Safety for you. So I came out of hiding for work and then. What, how do you deal with it now? Like, so in your work environment, um, do you, if you're having an off day or a day that you're unsettled, feeling the uncertainty of anxiety mm-hmm. or the uncertainty of depression, would what triggers you at work or is there a trigger at work? I think a trigger at work, I am, I'm an overthinker okay. and I sometimes f- fall into thinking what I know or thinking that I know what other people are thinking. But I don't. (laughs) But like, I'll have a simple conversation taking someone's order. Yeah. And the way that they respond to me, I will interpret it freakishly weird. And I will just like, I'll be jumping off the walls on the inside. Because if if they're not responding to you, like if, so give me, so I'm the person and I say, this is what I want. And I just don't really acknowledge you. And I just look at my phone and I walk away. Then what does that do to you? Then I, sometimes I think that's just a person. They're just doing their thing. But if I'm having a not so good day, I definitely am like, what did I do wrong? Wow. And what's wrong with me? And did I not greet them properly or like, are they judging me? Like, it all comes back to like, what did I do? (laughs) Why am I not enough for you? Yeah. And then, and then it quickly moves to, I need to get out of here. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Okay. And then what do you do? Do you ever act on that? Like, do you ever just? Um, usually I'll, I'll, I'll kind of, I'll get through the situation that I'm in. Like, I won't just bolt because I know that I'm needed. Hmm. But I, if it's bad enough, I will go up to someone who's above me um, work-wise and say, like, can I please go somewhere else? Or can I take five minutes? You just need five minutes sometimes. Yeah. (laughs) If, If anxiety had a name other than anxiety... I gotta think about that for a second. <laughs> that's uh, that's where my creativity has issues. I have trouble with new ideas. Because <laughs> um, would you class it as being a part of you, or is it outside of you that just comes and attaches itself to you every now and then? Oh, it's totally a part of me. It's a part of you. Like I, I probably feel it in every situation that I walk into. It's just some situations. I already know that I'm going to be more comfortable than others. So are you on medication for like, so when you've gone to the doctor? So I guess as far as I went doctor wise was I went to my family doctor because I do really like her. Um, 
when we moved here, we switched all the females in the family got the female doctor and all the males in the family got the male doctor. And they're, a little, they're like a married doctor couple. That's great. <laughs> so I do really like her. And from, from the moment I met her, I was like, okay, great. Like I got the best, awesome, young, friendly doctor ever. Like <laughs> That's always helpful. So I did feel like I, my first step was to go to her and not some stranger doctor. Um, so I went to her and I basically how I phrased it to her was because this was at the beginning of when I was feeling suicidal. I hadn't crossed over the barrier yet, but I was getting real close. Um, I said to her, I feel depressed. I have felt depressed in like the past in my life, but in the last three months, it's been way heavier because it is kind of a weight. Um, so she took that and she did, I guess, what doctors do. And she referred me to a psychologist, um, or a psychiatrist. It's one of the two. Okay. <laughs> um, and it was at a different place. So I had to go there and then tell that doctor about how I was feeling. And he asked me questions. Um, I felt like the questions that he asked me didn't, didn't give a true glimpse into how I was feeling and what my life was like. Because he asked a lot of questions like, how do the people around you see you? Would the people around you say that? you act out or like that kind of thing. And I have no idea what the people around me think and how they feel because I'm already worked up in my head about how they feel. So in in my eyes, they see me the way I saw my life, which is a total mess. And I guess like my answers to his questions, like when he said, "Do would people around you say that they notice that you get different when you're upset or like that kind of thing or like that you're vocal or loud. I said like, no, because like I do keep it all on the inside a lot and I'll go and I'll have my little anxiety attack by myself. <laughs> um, so pretty much I came out of that him saying like, you're definitely not bipolar because that's something that I was curious about because of my birth father. Sure. Um you're definitely not, but basically saying you're definitely not all of these things. Here's this medication you can try. Um, so I said, okay. I took the prescription. I didn't fill it. I thought about it. <laughs> I filled it maybe a week later, tried it for a week, went, I don't want to do this, and, and gave it up. Why didn't you want to do it? I, I, as much as it, as much as I'm an overthinker, I like my brain. Oh, did it make you um, feel different? I felt like worse and slower. And I'm very like my, although I'm anxious, anxiety gives me quick thinking and quick wit. And when I start taking medication, that took it away. And I, I like being quick-brained mm. that's <laughs> right right and and plus um what so when when you were there what were you needing you were needing someone to say how are you feeling yeah I think 
verbal counseling and having somebody to go back to maybe once a week or maybe once every couple of weeks was what I needed and what I could still try because I haven't truly tried it yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but that going to where I went didn't get me what I needed. And mm-hmm. I ended up just feeling frustrated with the whole system around mental health and how doctors go about it and how it's basically like you have to hit rock bottom and try to kill yourself for doctors to pay attention and for people to pay attention. What did you need from from the medical? I guess I just needed what I needed for them to give me what my doc, family doctor said to me, which is I believe you that you are feeling depressed. And you matter. Yeah. Stay. Yeah. I didn't need pills. <laughs> and I know some people do. Some people really do manage their life well with medication. And it's just, it wasn't for me. And it's important to note, too, that if someone's listening, um, then if it if you're feeling like the medication is not for you, then you need to find someone that is for you. Yes, try, <laughs> being try on something own, else. Yes, being on your mm-hmm. own is not an, you know, it's not ideal. No, yeah. And I'm not saying spend time by yourself, take the meds. Like, yeah. that's so not the recipe. Help, <laughs> help is actually the very first thing. And it is the most important thing. And how, um, what comes out of getting help is, is really an individual process, um, that happens. So, but again, it's, you know, um, learning and knowing yourself too. Right. I've, I've talked to people though, that have said, well, the medication makes me feel different and I, I can't feel that way, you know, and then they find other medications. There's other options. Something doesn't work with whatever, their body chemistry or, or whatever. So does anxiety have a, a name other than anxiety? <sighs> what does it look like visually to you? Ooh. Uh, I'd say it almost like stops my vision. Like it. Wow. Like it. It, I I picture everything in my head, like anything that's said to me, I can sort of see it in my head, like I can see the sentence in my head. But if I'm so anxious, like either having, com- like it's usually social, like having a conversation with somebody is when it comes out the most. I, I don't visualize things anymore. I'm just giving automatic responses or I'm thinking too hard and I'm giving no responses. Wow. So it just blocks your vision. You cannot see clearly. There's no clarity. Yeah. It's like my my head is filled with this like static almost. Like Wow. And I definitely get the like when it comes to panic attacks, I'll get the shaky hands and a little bit of like breathing issues. Um, and then obviously, yeah, just crazy, crazy overthinking and, and thinking that doesn't make sense. Um, it's, it's actually helped me a bit to see that other people um, 
struggle with the same things and that I am not just a fish in a pond of more improved fish than I. (laughs) That other people are also struggling the same amount as I am and that I'm not the only one that feels unsuccessful. Life is about getting to know yourself. I've had situations this past week where I was getting to know of an aspect of who I am as a woman. And I'm like, wow, I haven't used that before. And I need to sort of drop into that and see what that is like. We all need to know and give ourselves permission to spend our lifetime learning who we are. Yes. You don't just more time know. There. You're, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like you're not just knowing yourself by the time you're 25. <laughs> you know, that's I know myself. Actually, I'm not changing. Like, no, you right. keep changing. And, and when I had a woman on the show who is late fifties, no, wait, early fifties. And she is just discovering the threads of her youth. And what happened to her when she was in an abusive relationship from, you know, 18 to 28. And now she's unpacking it now. She's 52. Like, that is how it works. Life is about this. No, I actually do agree with you that life is a process, but it's so hard not to look at the big picture sometimes. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Like, breaking it down and living your life in all these little different things, that is a great way to make yourself happy and not focus on everything that worries you or like for me, everything that worries me. Um, so it actually, I, I agree with you that life is in the little things that you love to do and that learning about yourself, you're going to keep learning about yourself and that you're going to keep changing. And I think everybody's kind of conveyor belt is different. (laughs) Um, and it may be faster. It may be slower. So I, it's cool that you brought up that that woman is 52 and she's just starting to learn about herself now because, like, you're you can, not too old. You can always start learning about yourself. Well, this is it. And, and that's why I was disagreeing with you early on in the episode. I'm saying to you, it, it is okay. It's okay to not have everything sewn up. Mm-hmm. and it's all right. But you're a very visual person, and you need to see that in action, I think. And and sometimes not seeing results can make me feel disheartened with how I'm doing. Um, but then I just need to look closer, and that there actually are results. I just need to look for slightly different results than I was hoping for. Like a perspective oh. shift. Yeah. Just... Mm-hmm. You know, seeing the one thing and just moving a little bit to the side. Mm-hmm. Or maybe you have to go across the room and look at it from a different angle, but it's still the same thing. It's just a different way, a different approach. That That's always helpful. Yeah. And life is never going to go the way you think it's going to go. That's... No, that your that's, story... That's your story the way it's been is, for me. Yeah, your story is that. Like every time I've jumped into something thinking it's going to end a certain way or thinking it's going to go a certain way, it's always gone a completely different way and I just have to be okay with it. Yeah. But I think that that's because you are becoming okay with yourself. This is really about the power of becoming. Have you ever read the story of the Velveteen Rabbit? 
I should have. I really should have, but I haven't. You haven't? <laughs> I'm going to get you that book. Okay. Because mm-hmm. it is a really cool book about a, a little bunny that was a, a, you know, a stuffed animal. And the book is about becoming. And it is so powerful because, you know, we all move down a line of becoming and discovery and knowing who we are. And when you're 70, it is still okay to learn how to move with your environment. And none of us really want to be like that stagnant water. We all want to be, you know, flowing and free. Um, It's really good to be thinking about that at this age, especially with where you are in your life. And the story that you have is sometimes it sounds to me like you'd be stuck. Would you describe that as part of your life being stuck? Yeah. Sometimes I do feel very stuck. (laughs) In fact, even, even though my life like right now is, I have a hold on it and it's stable. Sometimes I feel stuck like with the school thing and with the fact that I, stop traveling. Like sometimes I feel stuck. Like how did I, how did I get stuck here? Mm. Mm. Your journey of, of discovering who you are as a woman and moving through anxiety and depression and seeing that they are a part of you, that you have made peace with anxiety and made peace with depression You went to rock bottom and back again, offering the beauty that is your actual life. Your life is beautiful to me. You are beautiful to me. Thank you. And you matter. And And I'm starting to accept that and get like go with it a little bit. Like I'm I'm starting to. I have so much growth to do so far. I guess it's thinking about, like, I've been successful in different ways than I thought I was. But that's exactly (laughs) your point. Life has never worked out the way you anticipated it. But it's always working for you. It's always working with you. It isn't working against you. And you've had a lot of things that have looked like it's working against you. Mm -hmm. Look what you have done. Oh, Julia, Julia. I want you to um, continue down your journey. And I want, I can't, I, I'm really excited. I want to see like, maybe, maybe we could do another show once you've been to therapy. That'd be cool. That would be really cool. I want to, I want to know like. Yeah. How my thinking shifts as I go through sort of counseling. I'm so proud of you for doing this. You've done this well. Like this today or this like just dealing with it? <laughs> what do you think I'm saying? Well, I feel like I've done today well. I, I hope so at least because I know that I was a little bit nervous coming into it. Yeah. Do you think I'm talking about today? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so much mystery. I uh, think you've <clears throat> done this well and today is one thing you've done but your life 
you've done it well. Thank you. You're so <laughs> welcome. And this will, we will end now. Okay. <laughs> and scene. And cut. <laughs>